morning, friends. It is uh, good to be with everybody this morning. Welcome to West Bowles Church. Especially if it's your first time with us, maybe your first time in a long time. We're so honored that you were with us, that you would join us this morning for worship and some time in the Word. Just time to encourage one another. Our goal here really is twofold, that you would be encouraged by the community and then empowered by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And so we hope and pray those two things are happening. And if they're not, you come find me, okay? And I'll make sure somebody pays. Probably be me, but... um, So much uh, thanks I want to personally give to Nathan for filling in last week for me in this pulpit. Just an amazing sermon, an amazing spirit. So thanks to him. Nathan is our, uh, we call him the the, the greatest youth minister in the galaxy. And so uh, I'm just honored to have him as part of this team and kind of my partner in crime in this. And so we're going to get him up here a lot more and just hear from him and his wisdom and his spirit. So thanks, thanks to him. But it's good to be back with you guys as we continue our Sacred Letter series. Before we jump into that, let me share with you just a few quick updates real fast about our Power of One campaign. Uh, you continue to hear this or see this or be reminded of this in different ways. And that's because we're serious about this. We believe in the power of one. And so we as a church are committing to seven different ones that we think when we do them individually, but even more so as a church, God will do uh, great, powerful inexplicable things through them. So I haven't told you the last three weeks where your give one dollar has has gone to. And so every week we're asking kind of as you leave this place just to take an extra dollar and put it in one of the bins in the doorway. What we're doing is we're taking that money every week and on Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning we're just handing it off to somebody in this community who needs it. So we've got about 400 to 500 dollars the last three weeks. So three weeks ago we gave it to, let me make sure I get this right, uh, we gave it to a family who just moved here uh, that was dealing with tons of, of medical issues. And uh, I think they had a new baby is what it was. And so they had some things come up they didn't expect. And so we said here, on behalf of West Bowles, we love you. Uh, help, hopefully this will help cover some of those costs. Two weeks ago, we gave it to a, a single mom who actually had the power turned off and she was having trouble paying her rent. And so we said, in Jesus' name, we just want to help you as much as we can. So here's, here's some money. And then last week, a new family that moved here that has a ton of medical issues and, uh, and different financial strains on them, right? When it rains, it pours. And again, we said here, uh, it's not much, but it's something. So your $1 are going to great cause. I want to make sure you know that. I want to make sure that you're proud of that. In terms of our one-time gift, we're about 65% to our goal. So keep going with those one-time gifts. We've slowed down a little bit, but we expected that. But if you feel led by the Lord to help position this church to do great things in the next couple of months and years, uh, help us with a one-time gift. And then Shar mentioned all these new opportunities in the month of October for Donate One. We need some candy. Invite One. The Harvest Festival is coming up and commit to serving once a month. How about you help us out with the Harvest Festival, especially if you're inviting all your friends to come. So that's the goal. That's what we're doing. I also want to tell you one more thing. Uh, We're starting today an easy tithe campaign that will run through the month of October. In your bulletin, you probably noticed an extra little card explaining online giving. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be highlighting just how easy it is to sign up for reoccurring gifts or even a one-time gift here at, uh, at West Bowles. Personally, Beck and I know the convenience and the ease of signing up for right, bill pay, automatic bill pay online. You do it one time, you don't have to think about it ever again. And so our goal for you is to make giving to this church as easy as possible. And even if you go out of town or are sick for a while or decide to do something different for a few Sundays, you're still able to bless us. So today is that card. Next Sunday we'll have some people out in the foyer with computers showing you how to do it. I think Ryan and Nathan and John are going to do a a dance routine at some point. (laughs) Easy giving dance routine. I'm excited to see what that is, Ryan. So, but that's kind of where we're going with that. Uh, sorry for all the money talk, especially early on. It's never fun to talk about money unless you're talking about how to spend it, right? Uh, but that's why we're talking about it now. 
Because we as a church want to spend at least 50% of our money, the money that comes in, on people outside of this church, on things and projects and needs that are in our community. And so I wanna talk to you about how we're raising funds, how we're doing with our budget, because as soon as we can meet that thing, we're gonna be a 50-50 church, where every dollar in, we send a dollar out, or 50 cents out, or however that works. So, uh, that's the goal. Let me pray for us and for our series, and we'll dive into some sacred letters. Father, thank you for this morning, for a beautiful day. Thank you for this church, for a beautiful group of people. We now ask that you would breathe into us your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and empower us and change us, God. We wanna be different, we wanna look different, we want to have life. Would you grant us those requests now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you remember or ever came across Ripley's Believe It or Not? Anybody seen some of these things before? It's a, it's a series, right, a franchise, magazines, books, shows, museums, and they just all deal with the ludicrous, the outrageous, the crazy, things that are so wacky, they're truly hard to believe, believe it or not. Well, this morning, I want us to play a little game called West Bowls, Believe It or Not. I'm gonna show you a few different pictures, and I want you to tell me whether or not you believe these images are real photographs, or if they've been doctored and enhanced and photoshopped in some way, okay? So real or fake. Let's start with this first. Uh, West Bowles, believe it or not, by a show of hands, how many of you think this is a real picture? Not many. Okay, photoshopped. I'm imagining most of you think it's a fake. Okay, very good. Let's go to the next one. Real picture? <laughs> show of hands, how many of you think someone's sitting at a dining room table with a bear? Okay, how about fake? Show of hands, most of you think it's fake. All right, next one. How many of you believe that's a real photograph? Show of hands. Four, okay, good. How about fake? Photoshopped, I'm imagining the rest of you. Okay, looks like that's the consensus. How about our last one? How many of you believe this can happen with an apple? <laughs> How many of you eat an apple that meticulously, right? Fake, I'm imagining, show of hands. More often than not, some think it's real. Okay, good, good. Well, do you believe it or not? That's the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. And not just as it pertains to these crazy images, which by the, by the way, are all real. I'll put them on Facebook this week, just giving you the description of how each one was taken. But those are all real pictures, but I'm interested in you knowing that, but I'm more interested in you knowing that biblical truth is real. Because that question, believe it or not, it's actually a question you have to ask yourself all the time, right? Every time you open this book, you have to ask yourself, believe it or not. Every time you bow to pray, you have to ask yourself, do I believe this or not? Every time you sing worship or offer yourself in service, you're honestly asking yourselves or should be asking yourself, do you believe it or not? Creation, sin, evil, judgment, grace, redemption, do you believe it or not? And what separates a skeptic from a supporter, a doubter from a disciple, is simply how you answer that question. Do you believe it or not? And here's how I want us to phrase it this morning. Do you believe that Jesus is who he proclaims to be? And in addition to that, do you believe he can do what he promised to do? See, because the way you answer that question makes all the difference in the world. And the way you answer that question will make all the difference in the world to come. We're not the first ones to be asked the question here. Let me show you. I'm going to read to you John 11, the entire chapter. Go with me here. Stay with me. It's a long one but it's such a great story. It says this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary uh, and her sister Martha. This Mary, 
whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So we've read about this family before. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea, to where this is happening. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews in that very same city, that very same place, tried to kill you. They tried to stone you. You want to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's just asleep, then he'll wake up on his own. He'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them as plainly as he could, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him now. Then Thomas, great name, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to support Mary and Martha and to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now I know that even, now I even know that God right now will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I know, he, he will rise one day in the far off distant future in what's known as the resurrection at the last day. I know that. Jesus said to her, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. He's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb to cry and mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man, this Lazarus, from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a grave or a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, but Lord, Martha replied, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He's been in that thing for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you 
if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of everybody standing around me. They may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What a great story, huh? Hollywood needs to get that one. Let's talk about this text, though, and unpack it by looking at three believe it or nots that I think it challenges us with. The first is this. Believe it or not, do you believe that God is greater than your disappointment? See, the story here in John 11 is full of disappointment. It's so thick, you can feel it. You can touch it. You can taste it. You can cut it with a scissor, as they say. Thomas is disappointed. Jesus wants to go to his death. Great. I guess we'll go with you and die right alongside of you. The disappointment is even more apparent as you read the the sayings and the comments of the two sisters. Lazarus' two sisters, along with the entire crowd, are all disappointed that Jesus didn't step up, that Jesus didn't come any sooner. They all say in one way or another, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you cared, Lord, if you truly loved him, Lord, if you truly were all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good, then this man, this brother of mine, he would not be dead. You can hear the frustration, can't you? You can hear the sadness, the anger, and the disappointment. These are the same words that a mother says after burying her malnourished child. These are the same words that a husband says after hearing his wife's cancer is terminal. These are the same words a community says after a massive shooting or tornado or tragedy. God, where were you? If you cared, if you were real, if you loved us, you would have spared us from this. God, I had really high hopes for you. Man, I thought you were going to step up. I thought you were going to do things that I wanted you to do. I had hoped you were going to show up and fix this or show up and salvage this or show up and heal me from this, but you didn't. And so many of us can relate to that disappointment, can't we? And we prayed, we prayed to have a child only to have multiple miscarriages. We had hoped, God. We pleaded for healing only to get weaker over the course of time. We had hoped, God. We asked for help and support and went to counseling and told somebody how bad it was and it only got worse. We had hoped, God. And in those moments, it's so easy for frustration, for disappointment to cripple you, to paralyze you. so easy in those moments to become jaded if not filled with complete disbelief and that's why in those moments it's so crucial that we remind ourselves that we believe in a God who's greater than our disappointments you see we want God to come when we call and to do what we want when we want it but God's not a puppy who responds to our commands and he's not a servant who responds to our demands The story is told of an at-bat that Babe Ruth had at home once. First pitch is thrown, strike one, umpire calls. Babe Ruth looks back at him, little high, little high. Pitch number two, strike two, even higher, even higher, he says. Pitch number three, you know what's happening, strike three, you're out. Now Babe Ruth, he knew he had a little temper, so everybody's expecting something just to go crazy. He puts the bat down, turns to the umpire and says, ump, 
I'm extremely disappointed in you. And not only am I disappointed in you, but 40,000 other people are disappointed in you. And the umpire, without skipping a beat, says, Babe, with all due respect, the only opinion that matters is mine. (laughs) And I wonder sometimes that's not how the Lord feels, right? As I know how you feel, and I know you're a little frustrated, you're a little disappointed right now, didn't work out like you had hoped, didn't work out like you thought it should, the pitch was a little high, now you're out, quote, quote unquote. I can sympathize, I get it, I'm sorry that happened, but the only opinion that matters right now is mine. You see, Jesus purposefully waits to go and see this family. He purposefully waits to go and help them in their time of need. He delays, and that seems odd to us, doesn't it? It seems cruel and insensitive to us. Why are you doing that? Look at verses five and six again. This is a fascinating thing. It says, Jesus loved them, so he waited. Now, some translations don't like that because it doesn't make much sense. So they say, yet he waited, because that's how we normally interpret that. If you loved me, you wouldn't wait. If you loved me, you'd come through on exactly what I needed you to come through on. But the text says he loved us He loved them, so he waited. Somehow in waiting, somehow in delaying, somehow in making them go through this trial, this pain, this loss, somehow in making them wait, in making them hang on, in making them experience disappointment, he was showing them how much he loved them. Verse 14 is similar. It says, for your sake, disciples, I'm glad he's dead. You're glad he's dead. How could you be glad that a good man is dead, Jesus? You're talking craziness right now. And he says, because I know what's going to happen. It's because I'm in control, because mine's the only opinion that matters in this situation. N.T. Wright says it this way. It's as if Jesus is saying, I will not be hurried because I love you too much. I actually know what I'm doing and I know what's best for you. And even when you beg me to do differently, even when you get mad at me for doing differently, I won't do differently because I know what's best. I will wait until it's time, until it's best for you. It's as if Jesus is saying, you want me to do this for you, but I wanted to do this for you. And that's gonna take some time. You see what's happening right here, right now, in this world, but I see what has happened in all eternity past as well as what will happen in all eternity future. And I'm not concerned about the world here and now. I want to prepare you for the world to come. You see what's best in terms of ease, health, goodness. I see eternity, holiness, godliness. That's what I see. You want to know that everything will be okay. I want you to be okay when you come to know me. It's a different perspective altogether, you see. It seemed like to the sisters and to the crowd that Jesus was delaying for no good reason. What are you doing? Why are you wasting time? Do you not care? But they didn't have all the facts. They didn't know how the story ended. They didn't have the opportunity to flip to the back of the book and read the last chapter. But we do. And so easy for us to say to Mary and Martha, but just wait, just hold on. It's about to get good. Right, it's easy to say to Mary and Martha, it's a lot harder to say it to yourself. Or to someone in your life who's going through an incredibly difficult situation. Just hold on. Just hang in. Don't give up. You don't know how this story ends. You don't have all the facts. You don't have all the information. There's another chapter that is yet to come. And if you could just wait to see it. 
in all honesty, a great deal of our frustrations with God, they stem from our ignorance or our arrogance, don't they? It's like, Jesus, I believe you are the all-powerful creator that spoke the world into being. I believe you can heal everything. I believe you made the world, you saved the world, you died for the world, you overcome death, but I know what's best right now. Yeah, I believe all that about you, but, but, but right now, it's all about me. I know what's best. See, you can't believe those two things. They're in conflict with one another. If you believe he is all that, you have to believe he knows what's best for you right now. Now, don't hear me say that disappointments are not real, that they're not hard. Oh, they're extremely painful. But if we would just believe that God is greater than those disappointments, I think we would see things that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. You see, in this story, amazing things happen. They wanted Jesus to heal Lazarus from an illness. Jesus said, I want to heal him from death. You wanted this to just be one more story of a miraculous healing. I want it to be the single greatest story and miracle the world's ever seen but you gotta wait for it. It's not gonna come in the way you had hoped. I know you're disappointed, and God gets it, but God is greater than your disappointment, believe it or not. Believe it or not, number two, do you believe that Jesus is greater than the darkness? The darkness in our world or the darkness in our lives? Let me explain what I mean by that. The Bible describes pain, suffering, evil, chaos, all the crazy, nasty, gross, yucky stuff in this world. He describes it as Darkness. It's a great analogy, isn't it? It works perfectly. I mean, think about darkness with me for a second, right? It's where evil, mischievous things hide. It's where people get hurt and secrets are kept. And the story here in John 11 is full of darkness. We have sickness, we have death, we have sadness, we have disappointment, we have frustration, we have anger, hostility, threats, murder. It's chaos, it's life, it's our world. It's full of pain, loss, and confusion. And yet, did you notice, as we're reading it, everybody's flipping out. Thomas is like, great, let's just go die. The sisters, where were you? The Jews, where were you, right? Everybody's losing it. And yet, what is the posture of Jesus throughout the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay. He's in complete control. Throughout the entire story, he's not thrown for a loop by the darkness. He's not cast into the darkness itself. He seems like he's overcoming the darkness. He's not all that frustrated or angered by all the evil things that unfold around him. Lazarus is sick. That's okay. It won't end in death. We'll talk about what he meant by that in just a second. For your sake, I'm glad he wasn't there or I wasn't there with him. The evil things, the worst possible situations that we could throw at the Lord, it's like, what do you think of all of this? He's like, I'll tell you what I think. He remains calm and completely in control. And when the disciples try to stop him from going back to this region and encountering these angry mobs, they try to stop him from going to his death, he has this weird statement about darkness and light. What he's basically saying there is, folks, I've got a job to do today, and no one's going to stop me from doing it. Do you understand? I am walking in the light, 12 hours, this is a full day, and I will work all day. Because I'm in control of this day. I'm in control of the dark and the light. He's in complete control. Everybody else is getting frustrated or groveling or giving up, but not Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what comes his way, no matter how many problems he is told of or how much pain he experiences, he remains calm and he proves that he is in control. Let me make sure that we're all on the same page real fast in terms of this story. The story shows us that one, God doesn't cause death and pain and suffering. 
Right? He didn't do this to Lazarus. But secondly, we learn that he doesn't shield us from death, pain, and suffering. He didn't stop Lazarus from dying. And that's because, third, he is superior to death, pain, and dying. He can actually use those things, flip them on their head for our good. It's an incredible power that only God himself has. He's so superior to the things that we are so afraid of, he doesn't have to shield us from them because he actually can use them to do good. Let me show you Psalm 139. It's a fascinating passage, and it says this. Surely the darkness will hide me. The light will become night all around me. You hear what he's saying? I'm scared, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated. Dark, evil chaos is clouding me and covering me. I'm scared of the darkness. Even the darkness, God, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for you, God, because darkness is as light to you. It's the same thing Romans 8 tells us, isn't it? What can separate us from God? There's so much darkness in this world. Can trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, illnesses, death, disappointment, can, what can separate us from God? What does the passage say? Nothing, nothing, because he's over all of it. He can take his enemy's best punch and he can actually grab it and throw it back at him. See, it's one thing to, to not have an enemy at all, right? Some of us would love for God just to be up there all by himself, but then we'd be a bunch of robots. There wouldn't be choice. There has to be choice. There has to be darkness to show us what light means. There has to be opportunity to show us why we're making certain choices. Love demands opportunity and freedom. And so most of us think that, that there is God and, and, and evil just kind of battling it out. Like, ooh, round one went to God. Ooh, round two, three, four, and five went to Satan. Okay, round six, come on, God, throw a left hook in there. Come on. We believe it's, it's going back and forth. At the very end, it's going to come down to the last second, and all of a sudden it's like, and the winner is Jesus. Like, whoo, that was close. <laughs> Praise be to God. It's one thing to have an enemy. It's one thing to be able to take your enemy's best punch. It's another altogether to take his punch and to throw it back on him. That's how big our God is. His enemies cannot thwart his plan, and any plan his enemy has, God can use to develop and unpack his plan. He's an amazing God. Nothing can stop him. So the question is, do you believe it or not? Do you believe that God is able to take the good, the bad, the ugly things in this life, the darkness that you're going through? Do you believe he can take all of that and use it for your good, use it for his glory, show you, develop you, mold you, things and in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise? Do you believe it or not? Instead of shielding you from darkness, do you believe that God can somehow use darkness to draw you deeper into the light? Instead of shielding you from pain or loss or heartache, do you believe God can use heartache to show you how much his heart aches for you? Instead of shielding you from pain, do you believe God can somehow use pain to manifest power? Instead of having you escape the cross, do you think he can help you endure your cross so you can bring life to the world? That's the question. Do you believe it or not? Can God take everything in this world, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and use it for your good and his glory? Do you believe it? Or not. And nowhere is that more evident than as it pertains to our third, believe it or not. Do you believe that God is greater than death itself? If I had to create a marketing campaign for John 11, I would call it Death Stinks. 
Death just stinks. One of Martha's main concerns when the Lord goes over to see the body of Lazarus is, Lord, 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 by this time there will be a bad odor in there. We're not, we're not rich. We don't have all the fancy perfumes to make his body smell good. He's going to stink in there. The new king, or the King James Version actually say, but Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> I love that phrase. It sums up death, doesn't it? Death stinketh. Even if you aren't a person of faith, death stinketh. The presence of death, the, the thought of death, the pain of death, it all stinks. No matter what your background is, or your religious affiliation, death makes us angry. It confuses us. It makes us feel like we've been cheated, doesn't it? Talk about so-and-so cheated death. Wrong. Death cheats us. People are supposed to live long, happy, prosperous lives, period. Parents aren't supposed to bury their kiddos. Disease isn't supposed to rip someone apart from the inside out. Strong, healthy, godly people are not supposed to be beheaded by terrorists. Death stinketh. It's an understatement. Let me show you exactly why this is. Ephesians 3.11 tells us, says this about God. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know why death smells so bad? You know why it feels so bad? You know why it hurts so badly? Because deep inside of you, God has literally placed eternity. He has put inside of you a desire for forever. And so anything that comes along that cuts forever short feels bad, smells bad, looks bad, is bad. When things die, it goes everything, it goes against everything that is in you. And not just physical death. We're talking about all kinds of death here. By its very definition, death is the loss of something, the end of something, the separation of something. So there are multiple forms of death. There's eye death, when your iPhone runs out of power at the worst possible moment, right? It's like, Siri, I need you, I'm lost. Eye death. But there are much more serious types. There's, there's relational death, right? Two people that were once in this intimate, harmonious relationship, there's an end to that relationship. There's a separation of those two people. It's relational death. The Bible talks all the time about spiritual death caused by sin, right? We're dead in our sins. What does that mean? I'm still alive. How could I be dead? I'm still walking around. Well, you're dead because you're separated from God. There's going to be an end to your existence and your connection to all that is good. There are multiple types of death, but guess what? They all stinketh, don't they? Every single one of them stinks. We want eternity. We long for life. So unless we go goth, we don't talk about death. We don't think about death. We don't ever bring death up. And that would be okay, except for the fact that Jesus brings it up all the time. He talks about death all the time. It hit me this week why Jesus probably never got married. Because I just don't think on the first date he'd be a very good conversation partner. <laughs> but we all know there are certain things you just don't bring up on a first date. Your criminal record being one of them. <laughs> medical conditions, ex-boyfriends, girlfriends, weird phobias, politics, religion, or death. And yet here's Jesus, probably first date. Let's talk about when you're going to die. That's not romantic. That's creepy. But he wasn't ever embarrassed to talk about death. He did it all the time. He wasn't ever afraid to talk about death. He wasn't morbid for doing so. He talked all the time about his own death. Three days. 
It's coming soon. We gotta go so I can. He mentioned his death all the time. He openly talked about the impeding deaths of the disciples. You will. Don't be surprised when. Be prepared for. Then he said his believers, his followers for all of time would be marked and would have to carry an instrument of death. It seems like to Jesus, since we all have to deal with death, since we all feel the sting of it, since we all are eventually going to experience for itself, don't you think we should talk about it? I mean, instead of the 90% of things that we talk about that don't ever come to fruition in our life, how about we talk about the one thing we know for a fact will happen in our life, and mainly the end of our life. But beyond the certainty of death, I think Jesus talked about it all the time because he knew something that the rest of us didn't know about it. It seems like he knew something about death that changed everything. It seems as if Jesus believed something to be true about life and death, and mainly the fact that there was life after death that completely changed the way he lived his life before his death. Sorry, that was a crazy sentence, but I loved writing it. It just seems like Jesus knew that dealing with death was actually the way to start living your life. It seems as if he truly believed that since there is life after death, you can have a better life before death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tells us exactly why this is. Look at this passage. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, Jesus would break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Now watch this. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know something? You are deathly afraid of death. Whether you recognize it or not, we're all deathly afraid of death. We are deathly afraid of being separated from the people and the things and the experiences and the life that we currently have. We are deathly afraid of our life and our love and our legacies coming to an end. And God knows that. So he did two things. God knows you're so afraid of death that you and I are so plagued and overwhelmed by death. He did two things for us. One is he loves Jesus so much, he gave Jesus all power and authority. So Jesus, I love you so much, I'm gonna give you power and authority over life and over death. Here it is, it's yours for the taking. That's because he loved Jesus so much. You know what second thing he did? He loves you so much, so he gave you Jesus. He loved Jesus so much, he gave him everything, and he loves you so much, he gave you Jesus. And that's why it says, Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, there will be a resurrection or I'll be the first to be resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the source, the consummation of both of those things. The resurrection you need, the life you want, it's found in me. I am those things. When you get Jesus, you get those things. If you invite Thomas to the party, you know what you get? A balding white guy. It's like, hey, balding white guy's here. That's who you invited. You invite Jesus to the party, you get resurrection and life. That's who he is. That's what he always brings with him. He can't not be those things. Jesus says, I am the one who reconnects and brings separated things back together. I am the ones who brings things, the one who brings things who have come to an end. I help them to continue on forever. If there's been loss, pain, destruction, and death, I'm the one that makes sense of it and fixes it. You know what this means, Martha? 
Martha, do you know what this means? Your brother is not in some generic, theoretical, better place, high and fi in the sky, wherever that saying goes. He's with God right now because he will never die. He'll never be separated spiritually from the Father. He'll never be separated relationally from you. You will see him again. You will walk and talk and be with him again. Relational death, mm, no more. Now physical death, yeah, there'll be a time when you're separated from your body for a little while, but don't worry, I'll take care of that when I come back. That's the easy one, he says. Spiritual death, relational death, physical death, I've overcome it all. There will never be a millisecond Martha, where you and Lazarus are not connected to me. I'm exactly what Lazarus needs right now. I'm exactly what you need right now. I'm exactly what everybody needs right now. Because if you're in me, you have life. You have resurrection. And then to prove it, to not just talk about it, but to walk the talk, what does Jesus do? Lazarus, come out. People say he had to say Lazarus, because if he didn't, every dead person that ever died would come up and be like, hey, woo! Okay, you guys wait your turn. It's Lazarus right now, okay? <laughs> Lazarus, the grave is not your final resting place. Lazarus, your time on earth was but a brief moment compared to your time in all of eternity. Lazarus, the thing that filled you with fear, the thing that made you stop living, no longer has power and mastery over you. Come on out. Enough of that. And the resurrection of Lazarus is like a little Hollywood preview as to what's going to happen for every believer. Thomas, come on out. Rebecca, come on out. It's a glimpse of what is yet to come for us in Christ. Christ comes to the tomb of Lazarus and he calls him out like I would call a, a sleeping teenager. Hey, wake up. It took him that much energy and that much time to get somebody out of the grave, the thing we fear the most, as it would have someone like drooling on my shoulder asleep on the couch. Hey, wake up. That's death to Jesus. Hey, wake up. Come on out. The Indiana Department of Social Services sent the following letter on March 1992. Your food stamps, sir, will be stopped effective March 1992 because we just received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. <laughs> Christian, there will be a change in your circumstances. I can guarantee you there will be a change in your circumstances. Now we talk about it in terms of life after death. Jesus says there'll be a change in your circumstances right now if you want there to be. I can change everything. That's how I want us to end the passage. See, normally we reserve this story or these sayings for a funeral service, don't we? Memorial service. He's the resurrection and the life. He who believes will never die. He's in a better place. This is the greatest truth that Christians have. God is greater than disappointment. He's greater than darkness, and he's greater than death. Do you believe it or not? And you don't only reserve this truth until there is death. You've got to start talking about it right now. Because everything in this life is slowly dying, it seems like. Our relationships, our families, our finances, and we need resurrection in life right now, don't we? And so the question is, do you believe it or not? Verse 14, so that you may believe. Verse 25, he who believes. Verse 26, whoever lives and believes in me. Verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed? Verse 42, I said this so you would believe. You seeing a trend here? You gotta believe it. Your wife can't believe it for you. 
Your parents can't believe it for you. Your heritage can't believe it for you. You've got to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and he can do what he promised to do. Do you believe it or not? You have to believe that he is the resurrection and the life. Because if you don't, those promises of being greater than disappointment, greater than darkness, and greater than your death, they don't apply to you. They are void for you. But if you believe, if you believe, you will see greater things than this. Jesus says, you have to believe. And again, not just in moments of crisis, but in every moment. The story for us ends when Jesus says, would you take those grave clothes off of him? It's because he's saying, once you know me, once you know that I'm greater than your disappointment, than darkness and death, there should be nothing in your life that stinketh anymore. Any sign of death, any smell of death should be far removed from you as a believer. See, I'm the resurrection. Yes, I will have life after death. I came to give you life before death. I'm the Lord of life. So that marriage that's been falling apart for years now, how about you invite Jesus into that? Because when he comes, so does resurrection and life. That situation at work, you keep compromising to get ahead, you keep focusing on the bottom line instead of that line you should have drawn in the sand, how about you invite Jesus to go to work with you tomorrow? Because when he comes, so does resurrection and life. That pattern of lying you're trapped in, that addiction that's ripping you apart, that fear that's paralyzing you, hand it over to Jesus and in exchange receive resurrection and life. That depression you're dealing with, the regret you just can't over, open up the tomb and let Jesus in. Take off the grave clothes, Christian. You're not dead anymore. It shouldn't look like it. Nothing in your life should smell like it anymore. Do you believe it? or not? That's the question we have to answer. And this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back up and play my absolute favorite worship song. Some of you have asked what the song is. Here's your answer. It's coming up. And I don't, I don't want us just to say we believe. I want us to shout it out. I want us to sing it out. I want you this morning, if you truly believe God is greater than your disappointment, God is greater than all the darkness in our world, and God is greater than all death, if you believe that, would you sing this song with me? Would you shout it out? We need to believe. And if and when we do, amazing things will happen. Let me pray us into this song, and we'll jam out. God, we believe. It's so hard to believe at times, God. Some of us are going through disappointment right now. We had hoped things would be so different, yet they're not. Lord, help us to believe, though, there's more to the story, that you're gonna come. It might be several days later than we expected or had hoped for, but when you come, you will bring with you resurrection and life. Lord, we believe that you are greater than the darkness, and some of us are trapped in the darkness. Lord, you talked about a man stumbling around and hurting himself in the darkness. Some of us feel like we're in that right now addictions and behaviors and attitudes and relationships, they are just overcome and overrun by darkness. Lord, help us to believe that you are greater than those, that your light can penetrate even into the darkest of nights. And Lord, we believe that you are greater than death. And some of us have lost a loved one very recently or we're at the prospect of our own, the end of our own life, God. Death is staring us out in the face, our physical death. Or maybe, Lord, we've had a relational death recently. Maybe, Lord, we feel dead spiritually. Help us to believe you are greater than death, that you are resurrection and life. We now say to you, as best as we can, as faithfully as we can, we believe. 
Help us to truly mean that with all our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.